Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Good morning, good morning. Well, joining us right now is Leo Smith, who is going to teach me something I don't know. And I just love guests who do that. Leo Smith is passionate about reclaiming the night skies. He is chair of the International Dark Sky Association Connecticut chapter. He is a strategic leader working to build momentum for dark sky protection across the United States. He's been doing this for a very long time. He's been awake to this issue much longer than I have, and he's really worked with a lot of communities statewide and now nationwide to try and get some momentum towards reclaiming our night skies, which I think, frankly, right now seems to be in the, going in the wrong direction. I see more and more neon, more and more lit than I ever did before. Leo Smith, welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show. Thanks so much for coming on today. And thank you, Lisa. So this is a passion of mine. Tell me how and why it became a passion of yours. Well, we lived on a... Uh on a street where there was a turf farm behind us. And back in the 2000, 2001, a developer bought the turf farm and put in very nice houses. But the concern that I had was that I was gonna see a lot of glare. And working with the developer, we ended up putting in light fixtures that were shielded. So they put the light onto the driveways and so forth, but they didn't shine the light into neighboring properties. And that's how basically I got started with the the International Dark Sky Association. So in other words, the technology to do this right by our living creatures exists. Not only does it exist, but it's a win-win-win all the way around in that the property that's being lit actually looks nicer it doesn't cost any more. It's not like shielded fixtures cost 20% more than unshielded fixtures. It's just a matter of thinking thinking it through so that when you actually do it, you do it right. Now, if you do it right for the birds flying above, what about the fact that about 70% of creatures worldwide are nocturnal? So what about our opossums and our raccoons? Do you recommend a lot of motion detectors or... In other words, what do we do about that piece? 
the motion detectors are ideal. There's also uh, some fixtures that you can put out there that will automatically turn off, let's say at midnight or 10 o'clock. And the nocturnal animals also include fish, for example. Mm. If you have a lighted bridge with light going into the water and you have salmon migration, for example, salmon will stop when they come to that lit area because they feel that their predators will be able to see them. So it actually impedes salmon migration. It goes on and on and on with all of the adverse effects of light pollution. And the wonderful thing about this is that we can do this right spend any more money. Yeah, not only not spend any more money, how about all the conserving of money? Do we really need to be wasting? You know what drives me crazy? We're chatting with Leo Smith, International Dark Sky Association. And, and I'm telling you, it makes my blood boil. My husband can't even sit next to me anymore while we're driving a car. I cannot stand when I go down the post road and I see it's 10 o'clock at night and all these buildings are lit for nothing. And all these parking lots are lit for nothing. It's just so ridiculous. The stores aren't open. There's a, there's a building on the post road in Norwalk that just went up that's a moving storage place. And the thing is, is five stories high, and it's brightly lit 24-7. Drives me crazy. And I agree with you. It's, it's totally waste. It's just a matter of time before we get to the point where maybe there will be some energy conservation requirements that will dictate that buildings have to be unlit. Uh, and you see this in New York City all the time where you have all these floors lit. Lit. But the cleaning crew is only going around one floor at a time. <laughs> do, you really, do you really need to have all those floors lit, or could you turn the lights off except for that floor where the cleaning crew is going through? That's right. And certainly with parking lots for safety, you could easily have motion detectors by all of these lamps. It would be a no-brainer. Absolutely. So that if a person is there or a car is there, you're not impinging upon safety. You're doing the right thing by the public that may stray into a parking lot at night if you're a landlord, but you don't have to keep these bulbs on 24-7. And even as a next step, if we didn't have a requirement to turn them off, there's technology out there where photocells can be put into these lamps where, let's say at 10 o'clock, if that's the time when the parking lot becomes vacant, and you really wanted to have it on anyhow for whatever reason, perceived security or whatever, there are photocells out there that can reduce the light output by 50% starting at 10 o'clock so that instead of having a this brightly lit place, maybe it would be dimmed down mm-hmm. by 50% yeah. starting at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, and it makes a very big difference. Let's go to Gloria from Westport who has a question. You're chatting with Leo Smith of the International Dark Sky Association, the leader of the Connecticut chapter. Hello, Lisa. Hello, Leo. Good morning. Good morning, Gloria. Uh, Leo, um, I have been following this for many, 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 many years, eight, ten years. Somebody, uh, I heard them talking about this. So I've been doing this for many years. And what I do, and I'm going to seek your help afterwards, I use, you know, the blue painter's tape? Yes. I put those on the windows, on all the windows, uh, and I close the blinds at night. So if I have to have any lights open, I immediately, as soon as it's dusk, I close all the blinds. What more can I do? 
this is a question of preventing the light from coming in to your room? It's for the birds, so the birds don't crash in. Yeah, for the birds. Because they do, they crash into our windows. They do. Um, One consideration would be getting uh, light light-shielded blinds. There are blinds that you can get from Lowe's or Home Depot or a number of other places that are light-blocking so that they actually do block the light either way, from your place going out or from someplace else, like in the morning. Don't the regular blinds I have do the same thing, and with the curtains in front of it, they should block the light? No, they're actually, they're specially manufactured where if you go to a place like Lowe's, you can find that a certain blind can come what we'll call normal, or it could be uh, slightly light blocking, or it could be complete light light blocking, and you can order those accordingly. And when you do put in a light blocking shade, it's very effective in terms of keeping the light out. More so than normal shades or normal blinds? Much more normal, yes, much, much more. I would suggest maybe if you want... Really trying to place everything around the house. Going into Lowe's and and actually just checking it out, you know, talking to the... When you go to the blind department, there's someone there. Ask them to show you the differences between light blocking and regular. Okay. Okay. Thank and you. what about during the day? During the day, there's still light emanating, and I do have I, put, I have a lot of bird feeders, a lot of bird feeders out there. And uh, in the past, that's why I put the blue painter's tape on all the on the storm window because we keep that uh, the storm door we keep that open, and on the windows in the front. Uh, I know there's a pro, no, some kind of other product that they sell that emanates some kind of a sound or something or a light, which will deter them. But do you think the painter's tape uh, in pieces all around all the windows is enough for during the day? Um, During the day, your light from your house is probably not really visible on the outside uh, to any noticeable degree because of the sun. I see. But uh, they have in the past gone. I've heard them, you know, uh, go, you know, hit the window or the strong door. Yeah. They've done That's it to me twice during my show. Twice during my show, I had birds fly into the window. And I'm really not sure why they're doing that. I don't during know. During the day. That's yeah. The... During a, the day. a lot of times, it could be that the birds are seeing a reflection off the glass. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Thank you, Gloria. Leo, thank I you. Thank you. Leo. I was, um, I want, we're chatting with Leo Smith, International Dark Sky Association, 203-339-422. One of the things that I've noticed lately is a proliferation of what I perceive to be neon signs. And I spoke with our local uh, planning and zoning chair, and she said they're not technically neon, so that the regulation that prohibits neon, a lot of the commercial developers have gotten around it by putting in other lighting, she says LED and other things that are just as bright and give us the perception of that neon, but since they're not technically neon, they found a loophole in the regulations to achieve the same impact with their lighting. And obviously, I guess the answer is a lot of towns need to keep up with lighting in order to rewrite their regulations. Where is the International Dark Sky Association on 
coming forward with proposed regulations. Do you have any that towns can look at so they don't have to reinvent the wheel that you would recommend? Um, there are places like Pittsburgh, for example, has developed some very good sign regulations. One of the issues with sign regulations is whether or not signs should be required to be turned off when the business is no longer open. And in a lot of cases, signs are left on all night long, even though hardly anybody might be out there on the road driving by to see Absolutely. the sign. Absolutely. It's ridiculous. And that happens a lot with car dealerships, too, where right. they have all these lights on. They want to show off their cars, which is understandable. But do you really need to show them off at 2 o'clock in the morning when the, when it's, the roads are desolate and there's really, you know, like one or two people driving by an hour? I mean, it's crazy. But so there are ways to consider, let's say, if a town was concerned about uh, signing as far as the, 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 whether it's neon or anything else, they could adopt a regulation that would say that at 30 minutes after or an hour after the business closes, signs must be extinguished. Mm. And is that what they did in Pittsburgh? They didn't require that, but they came up with the a whole lot of like lighting levels how bright could that sign be sign brightness um, there were a number of uh, one of the nation's leading dark sky um, people nancy clanton from colorado was hired by pittsburgh to come up with their uh, lighting regulations regarding signs why do you think some people care about this more than other people leo smith what do you think <laughs> I think it's just a matter of awareness. Most people don't think about it. When, when you drive, do you really think about the fact that when you're driving down the street at night that maybe you don't really need all those street lights? I think about it all the time, but I'm a different kind of person. I'm obsessed with these things. And the thing is, what is amazing is probably 85%, maybe 80% of all the street lights other than the street lights that are on interstate highways are totally wasted. They're not needed. They're not. As a matter of fact, in, in Connecticut, you know how when you drive down a residential street, you have uh, the, the, the typical type of, of wiring that, that the utility company puts in with the utility poles sure. holding it up, and then they put a street light on to that pole. Mm -hmm. Well, for 15 years, I was on the roadway lighting committee that sets the standards nationally for roadway lighting. And if you do roadway lighting correctly, you need to place these lights at intervals so that you don't have darkness in the middle. And when you do that, you have to really have dedicated poles, which they do out in the West. They have dedicated poles for streetlights. They don't put them onto the poles that are used for wires. But the utility companies here on the cheap are trying to get by without having to put in those extra poles, so they put them on the utility pole that basically is based on wire weight distribution factors as far as distance from pole to pole. And even then, they skip a pole. They have one pole here, if you has a light, then you don't have one on the next one, then you have the one on the next one. It's crazy. And there's never really been any thought given to the fact that maybe we could have a much better lighting system for roadways if we had a master street light plan adopted by each municipality 
that would give us the reasons why a street light would be needed at an intersection, in front of a fire department, in front of a school crossing, that type of thing. But if we actually had a street light master plan adopted by the communities, you would end up finding that maybe a significant number of street lights would not qualify and would actually maybe you could take them down and save a lot take them of money. down yeah because you know what most of the time your car headlight does the job most of the time when you're driving it does and not, you don't not really only need that, that street but light. You, you you could even on highways in massachusetts on the massachusetts turnpike um there are embedded reflectors, so they don't get popped up when the when the snowfall comes through. There are embedded reflectors, and you can use a 3M makes a, a paint for streets that's retro-reflective. You can have a wonderful time driving with no lighting at all except from your headlight because you use these reflectors in the road, and you use retro-reflective painting for your striping between the lanes. There's all kinds of solutions that would actually give you better driving without without having overhead lighting. And, Leo, you were just telling us that there are alternatives to our roadways that are so much cheaper in the long run and on a monthly basis and are just going to be so much more effective in terms of living within our natural environment. You described different 3M paint coatings what I used to call cat's eyes in the roads, which are reflectors on our headlights. Uh, there's so much more that w- that can be done. And yet it seems to me, Leo, that we're moving in the wrong direction, that when a lot of our local planning and zoning commissions look at individual applications, they're not paying that much attention to lighting. And over time, there isn't that much enforcement of existing lighting regulations. Well, we're getting a little bit better here. Just recently, um, the Connecticut State Building Code was amended to include a light pollution control requirement as part of the electrical code. And that means that it applies, in this case, to all commercial applications. It does not apply to residential, um, but residential only means one and two family dwellings. It doesn't mean, let's say, a 36-unit apartment building. That's commercial. So... If the local building inspector and the local uh, zoning enforcement officer uh, are aware of this, maybe a lighting plan would be required at the time that there would be a submission, and the lighting plan would include provisions to show that there was compliance with the, in this case, the building code requirement is that all those lights have to be fully shielded. There are some exceptions, Christmas tree lights or decorations for for swimming pools and things like that are not covered by this, but all of your parking lot lighting is. So that's a substantial uh, step in the right direction, in other words. That, that's progress. That is progress. So that, that's part step one. Step two is getting those local officials, the building inspector and the zoning enforcement officer, getting them to take this seriously to the point that they start requiring lighting plans to be submitted when there is a building application put forth. But I also think step three is a survey of all of the existing non-conforming and basically violations of what the lighting code should be. Like, where is that? How are you going to clean up the mess? 
Well, in this case, there have, it's, it's going to take a long time. The original building code that was part of the energy code came out in 2004. There has been a substantial amount of progress going forth in terms of all architects are aware of this now. A lot of building construction companies are aware of this now to the point that <clears throat> most of them, but not all, but most of them are now compliant. When you see a new building go up, there's a parking lot outside. You see that parking lot with fully shielded street lighting, fully shielded parking lot lighting. That's a major step forward. We still need to address all of those places that just don't do it. And the problem, of course, is that when you go to the building inspector or the zoning enforcement officer and show them that this is what the code says, they have 40 balls in the air already with all that they're doing. And you're basically asking them to sort of drop all those balls and come pay attention to this. And some do, but most don't. Well, that's really a shame. And the reason that we had you on, Leo Smith, is not only to give us this important information, but... Talk to us a little bit about what are some of the damaging aspects of light pollution in our environment. I spoke earlier in the show about birds, and we know that a substantial amount of birds have disappeared from the planet because of disrupted migratory patterns. What what have you learned? The the damage there's there's a there's a book that was put out maybe twenty years ago on the environmental consequences of light pollution. That's the title of the book. And it goes through dozens and dozens and dozens of applications. And you think about things like how many lightning bugs do you see at night compared to what you might have seen when you were in the 1960s if you were That's around true. then? Yeah. Okay. What happened? Okay. A lot of it has to do with light pollution. There are pictures that, that we have that show, for example, a tree where one side of the tree is next to a street light and you have all of the leaves have fallen behind the street light where there's no light but all the leaves that are next to the light itself are still attached to the tree let's say in november i'm looking at so, a tree right now that's next to one and, and that's true my maple tree in the front yard now why is that why it's simply a matter of the fact that the light communicates directly with, with the tree, and somehow or other the leaves feel that they should still be there because there's the light. It's not getting dark at night. And, and so what does that do to the lifetime and the health of the tree? Does it throw it off? We don't really know what those consequences are, but they're definitely not positive. That's fascinating. I didn't realize that. That's amazing. And what about the birds? Uh, the Audubon Society in Connecticut is working uh, on a program to turn the lights out. And it's like Lights Out Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So that if you have one of those buildings, there's a couple of considerations. One is it's great to turn the lights out all the time. But particularly when you have migration, bird migration, that's when you can have a lot of adverse consequences to birds. There are cases where if you don't turn the lights out, birds will fly around the building 
and fly around the building until they die of exhaustion. And it's really something that's been in the works for a long time. Some big cities like Chicago, Boston, New York, all have a lights-out program during bird migration season. Lights have to be turned out in all the big buildings. And the bird migration season is what? Typically what? September, October, and then again, April, May, or March, April, May? Something something like that. That's right. So in other words, an incremental approach, and then if people get used to turning their lights off, maybe they'll continue to do so. They'll see energy savings. Maybe they'll look twice about it. I started with No Mo May to help the pollinators, and probably next year I'm going to go to No Mo May in half of June, and instead of mowing our lawn once a week, which we had been in the habit of doing, we're now mowing our lawn every other week. And my husband's really thrilled about the development because he doesn't notice that much difference except in his pocketbook. So he's happy. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's nothing bad about conserving and returning to our natural state, really. When you think about the natural state, imagine that you're out in a field at night, full darkness, except you have a full moon with Mm. no clouds. That full moon gives you enough light for you to be able to see rocks, to be able to walk your path at night with no problem. And that is about one hundredth of the brightness of a streetlight. Do you really need to have a lot, lot, lot more than that? Or would 10 times more be be okay? It's just one of those things that has gone on and on and on. In our town, we have – I'm in Suffield, Connecticut – in our town, we have street lights that are 70 watt, 100 watt, 150 watt, 250 watt. Why? Why? There's no rhyme or reason. It's not like, and that's where the street light master plan comes in. Mm. If a town adopts a street light master plan, then they can do everything in a rational way. Sometimes street lights are put in because Joe comes in and says, "I want a street light in front of my house because Ralph has one in front of mm. his." Yeah. That's and then the, 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 the town engineer says, all right, all right, all right, just to get him out of the office and, and get this done and let him go, go on with his regular work. So there's all kinds of reasons why streetlights are out there, but there's very few rational reasons. Sometimes the darkness presents fear. People are afraid of the dark, especially as kids. And sometimes that carries through into the point where you're an adult. It doesn't mean that light actually provides you with security as opposed to it provides you with a feeling of security. Leo Smith, this is, um, it's just marvelous that you're so active in this sphere. I'm so happy that there is somebody like you out there who is fighting the good fight about something. I'm just waking up to it in the last year or two, but I'm going to keep at it with my microphone because Education is always the first step. And then you hope that there's a tipping point where there's a sort of a consensus in our communities as we get further along that we need to reverse this. I would encourage people that are interested in this to go to the International Dark Sky Association website. There's a tremendous amount of information. It's at darksky.org. And there you can find tons and tons of resources um, that can help along the way with regards to there's a model lighting ordinance 
uh, that, that's out there, it, it really helps. Uh, so if you have an interest in that, consider visiting the website and eventually even maybe considering becoming a member. Thank you so much, Leo Smith, the International Dark Sky Association, darksky.org, for being on our show today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.